All right, guys, we are in Second Timothy, excuse me, First Timothy chapter 2, if you would turn there, please. Pastor Dan's been giving me the tough chapters. <laughs> well, actually, he hasn't uh, been. We just switch, uh, and he's on two, I'm on two, and then uh, it just happens to uh, fall that way. But he gets the ones that's like, Jesus only, rah, 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 you know, it's like this. <laughs> And I get the ones where it talks about women talking in church, you know, and, and I have to, and there was, there was one time after uh, I taught this particular passage that I had a lady uh, leave the church and never come back. So strap your belts, ladies. Uh, no, nah, it's not going to be quite, uh, I don't think, what you think it might be. But uh, let's pray and, and get going. Father, we are so grateful the Christmas season can turn into something much different than the humble beginnings. And Father, I just pray that you would help us to be able to navigate all the things that are there, the protocol of family and the plans that we have, Father, and that you would bless all of those, that families may be reunited, that have maybe not been united in a long time. We pray, Father, that you would allow us to enjoy the time that we have, knowing that we pray that the time is short, that you would come soon. And Father, we're so grateful that everything in scriptures shows you as a humble, gentle, loving God. And yes, Father, there are times that you've had to be a father. But Lord, we also know how gentle and wonderful you are in our lives. We're so grateful that the world, as A said this morning, that the world gets a small, small chance to be able to see what Christmas is all about. So Father, we love you. We ask that you would guide us this morning, guide our hearts and our minds, that we may hear what you would have us hear this morning. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, in chapter 2, the Apostle Paul begins his instructions to a young pastor by the name of Timothy. And as Pastor Dan has stated, Timothy was his child in the faith. He was his son in the faith. He loved him like a son. And Timothy was uh, a bit frail. It seems that he would uh, have some illnesses from time to time. Even the Apostle Paul and they believe that his thorn in the flesh might have been some myopic condition. And uh, I think it's amazing that the Bible doesn't just pull out perfect people and give them as an example. But he pulls out normal people like us. And he shows us that God can use us not because of us, but in spite of us. Even with our scars, even with the chinks in our armor. God still says, it's all right, that's the reason I'm here. That's the reason you need a Savior is because you cannot be perfect. And I will be that perfection for you. So I'm so grateful that the Word of God doesn't embellish. It doesn't, it doesn't put things in there like if you're reading a novel or if you're reading something else or you're reading an, uh, a biography. You know, everybody, they put in what you, they want you to hear. But there are things in the Word of God that are sometimes difficult. For us to hear. And for me, I need that. 
I, I needed to find out what I was doing wrong. Because most of you guys know I wasn't raised in a Christian family. I didn't have any Christian background, although uh, there were some relatives in the past, of course, that were Christians. So I didn't know how to do, I didn't know how to be other than the way I was raised to be. And how many of you know that the way you were raised to be is not necessarily always a good thing? Sometimes it kind of runs counter to uh, what's good or what's noble or what's righteous. And that's not to put down parents, because parents do the best they can at the time that they're doing it. And we may look on that and say, well, mine sure didn't do a very good job. Well, no. But if they would have known Jesus, they would have done it different. So one thing that God has taught me through the years, and that's that a lot of people, even those that hurt you, they're doing the best they can at the time. And so you kind of just have to learn to forgive. You have to learn to move on. I hear stories of people that hold grudges, and they hold them for such a long, long time, for years and years and years. And guys, it's Christmas. Let go of them. You know, let, let them go. We're not perfect. They're not perfect. And we need to be people who forgive because that's what Jesus has always done in our life. So he's instructing this young pastor on the way to be and the things that should go on in the church and some of the things that shouldn't go on in the church. He begins this whole chapter with the instruction to pray. And he ends it the same way, that we need to pray. Now, prayer is one of those things. I've just had a pastor this week call me and talk to me and and uh, he was asking me about uh, prayer meetings, right? About the church having prayer meetings. And a few years back, the Lord began to minister to me about the scripture that says, in all things to give thanks, and also to be prayerful always, right? To be prayerful always. And I began to think about that, and I'm thinking, how can you be prayerful always? In a church, it is normal, and it's a good thing, it, don't, don't get me wrong, it's an, a fantastic thing for prayer meetings, but the thing that I found is so few folks come to prayer meetings, and it's very difficult for some folks it, to take an hour out of their life to just to come and pray, and if you say, hey, we're going to have a prayer meeting, and you do it, it, it kind of starts off with a bang, and then slowly but surely, it kind of tapers, and it begins to taper, and it begins to taper. And I begin to think, okay, Lord, what does this prayerful always mean? How do you be prayerful always? And I believe that God wants us to live in a state of prayer all the time. Pastor, what do you mean? Well, prayerful always. All the time, any time, every time. When you get up in the morning, God, thank you that I got out of bed. You're driving down the road at 65 miles an hour, in a 65, of course. And you're driving down the road to 65, and you're saying, God, thank you. Thank you for my breath. Thank you for my life. Thank you for my family. Thank you for the things that you've done in my life. Thank you for how gracious you have been in my life. I believe that that is much better than just a one-hour prayer meeting, because hear, hear me out. In a lot of one-hour prayer meetings, that's it. That's the, whole, that's the whole week that people pray. Sometimes, that's all, that's all is in that one-hour prayer meeting. But that's not prayerful always. Living in a state of prayer is making sure that He is your Savior. 
that he is that guiding force in your life and being in an attitude of gratitude, if you will, your whole life about everything in Jesus Christ. Now, I'm not saying you're not going to get bummed. I'm not going to say that it's always easy to do that. But I do think that we can be. We can get up in the morning and thank him for our breath. We can thank him throughout the day for things. You just have that moment where it's just all coming at you from all directions and you just stop for a moment. You say, God, you got this. I don't have it. I'm not, I'm not built to have everything. I'm not built to be able to handle the things. But you do. You're God. You can handle it. And you give that to him, and then you go on with your day. So he's instructing Timothy to pray. To pray always. And guys, I, I'm not going to go into this too deep, because if I do, we're going to all feel guilty. Right? <laughs> because none of us pray enough. But I would encourage us all, all of us, to be prayerful as much as we possibly can. And that's what he's trying to teach young Timothy. So, in study two, we're going to cover, excuse me, the study of chapter two, we're going to cover that prayer in the church and some of the women in the church and some of the actions and reactions that were going on in that church that were disturbances. And he's trying to show Timothy and instruct Timothy how to be able to deal with that. So, please understand this will not be an in-depth study on prayer, or women for that matter. Because I'm not qualified, that would take too long, and I'm not qualified to do a study on that anyway. So, uh, if you desire more understanding in this area, we have several teachings that we've done on prayer and those are usually available online. Look at 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 1 with me, please. Therefore, and you guys have heard me say it forever, therefore is always kind of a turning point in, 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 the, uh, in the narrative. So in other words, based on what I've already shared with you, therefore, then he says, act this way. I've already shared all these things with you, so therefore. And he says, therefore, I exert, exhort, first of all, that supplications and prayers and intercessions and the giving of thanks be made for all men. You know, that is a very simple sentence. But it's so full of um, richness. You know, the supplications, those are God... Uh, I'm running short this week. Please help us. Lord, help me pick up a little extra side work. Lord, my baby's sick. Would you take care of my baby? Lord, those things, those are the supplications. Then he says the prayers, of course we're praying. You know, God, I know who you are. I know what you are. I know you can do this. I know you're bigger than these issues. The intercessions, that's praying for other people. That's praying for your child. That's praying for your neighbor. That's praying for your friends. And your enemies. Now, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to say something here, and I'm not trying to get too political, but when was the last time you prayed a good prayer for President Biden? <laughs> I have to admit, I've prayed for President Biden, but they always haven't been one of um, good. <laughs> I'm just being honest with you. But according to the scriptures, that's wrong. According to the scriptures, I should be praying he finds Jesus. I should be praying that God would do something amazing in his life and show him the love of Christ. 
and praying against all the junk that's out there, all the evil that is out there. And then he talks about that, giving of thanks. Well, that's, that's praising him for who he is. Every one of our prayer sessions should be ended with that thanksgiving. But God, with all that's going on, you're still on the throne. You're still in charge. You're still a good God. And help me to see that in all of its full glory. To give me the faith to be able to stand even when things are tough. Or even when I can't see much good that is going on in my life. Now I want you to look at 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 verse 15. Kind of giving some uh, solidity to this area of prayer. It says, see that no one renders evil for evil to anyone. But always pursue what is good both for yourself and for everyone, for all. Rejoicing always, here it is, 17, pray without ceasing, pray always. In everything give thanks, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. Is every prayer going to be an easy prayer? No. There are some prayers that are difficult prayers. God, thank you for this thing in my life that hurts. <laughs> That's a hard prayer. Could it be worse? Are there other people in the world that have it worse? Are there other things in life that are a whole lot worse than that? So we can be thankful, even in a tough setting, even a tough situation. God, thank you that, that, that that's not been the case. Thank you that you've protected me from this or from that. And I know that you work all things for good for those who love you and called according to your purposes. So I'm going to trust you. I'm going to trust you that there's something good in this. Even though right now, I can't see it. Now, am, am I trying to stand up here and tell you that's an easy prayer? No, it's not. That's an extremely difficult prayer. But it is a prayer of faith. Knowing that God is good. So pray without ceasing. In everything give thanks. For this is the will of Christ Jesus in you. I want you to go back up to that verse in verse 15. Where it says up at the top. Where it says. Excuse me. See that no one renders evil for evil. To anyone. What's that mean? Can, can we admit maybe that there's something inside of us that when somebody does us dirty we want to get them back you hurt me I'm going to hurt you or at least I'm not going to treat you like a human being until you say you're sorry and you better mean it because I can tell the difference between you just saying you're sorry and whether you're really sorry or not. Where does that come from? I can tell you where it comes from. <laughs> and we shouldn't be hanging out with that dude. <laughs> Jesus says we're supposed to put that stuff in his hands and give it back to him. And let him take care of it because he will be kind and gracious as well as firm. We'll, we'll just be nasty. So even with those things, we're supposed to pursue what is good. Not just for ourselves, but for other people. Please turn to Ephesians 6.17. 
And he says this, and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. What does it say next? Praying always with all prayer and supplication in the spirit, being watchful to this end with all perseverance and supplication for all of the saints. There's that praying again. But I've watched, and, and you know, I'm probably going to get letters from, from this, but I've, I've watched, I've been a Christian a while now, and, and I've watched prayer meetings become duty. It's a prayer meeting at the church tonight. I, I, I don't want to go, but I, have, I, I need to go. If I don't go, they're going to think I'm a non-praying heathen. So I got I to go to the prayer meeting. I don't think that's the heart of Jesus. You ever had your kids, you ask them to do something, they do it without the heart? And you got to go back and clean it up? Because they purposely do it, not wanting to do it. There's no heart in it. They're not giving it their best. And if our prayer, no matter when, when it is, if it's 65 mile an hour or if it's at a prayer meeting, if, if we don't want to do it, if we don't want to be there, I, I think we're better off not to be there. I know that sounds crazy coming from the pastor because you're probably saying, well, they should be there anyway because God can change their heart. But God can change that heart anywhere if we will let him. You see, it's not position or location, it's heart. God, change my heart to where I want to talk to you. I want to be around you. I want to be in your presence and remove anything in my life that might keep me from being close to you. I want that. I need that. And I want to be that way 24-7. I don't want to just do it one hour a week or early in the morning at 5 o'clock or 4 o'clock. And that's the only time. I want to be that way all of the time. Look at Philippians 4-6. He says, be anxious for nothing. Now, I don't want you to show me your hands. But I would, I would mention quite a few of you came in here this morning anxious. For something. For me, I get a little anxious when I know I've got several things stacked up in front of me. Anybody like that? Uh, you can show your hand now if you want to. Anybody like that? When you, know, when you know you have three or four things that are stacked up in front of you, and instead of joy, enjoying the journey, you're looking at them as, okay, I'm through that one. Now I just got six more. You get through another one, you're going, okay, just five more, just four more. And you, you, you do the countdown, and at the end of it, you're going, whew. See, you could pray for me that God will give me more ability to enjoy each one of those. To be anxious for nothing, knowing that God will get me through it. Because that anxiety keeps you from enjoying the moment. Instead of, instead of enjoying the moment and all that's going around and the fellowship that's going on around you, you're worried about the other five or the other four. So I believe he means being anxious for nothing, but you replace it. What do you replace it with? What do you replace the anxiety with? with? By praying, he says, but in everything by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, there it is again, let your requests be made known to God. He wants us to ask. He wants us to pray. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds through Christ Jesus. Now, I don't know about you, that's a pretty good deal. 
Give me your stress and I'll guard your hearts. Give me your thoughts and I will guard you. Give me all that that bugs you and bothers you and the peace of God which surpasses all understanding will guard your hearts and mind through Christ Jesus. I'm sure that many of you have experienced going through some pretty heavy trials, but you have a peace that passes all understanding. And your family or the people around you are going, how can you do this? You seem to be so calm about these things. Why is this not bothering you more than it, you know, as much as it is? And, and you know the answer because you've, you've got a Savior that you've given it to. You've got a Savior that looks out for you and He has given you that peace that passes all understanding. God, please, may you give us that peace that passes all understanding. Because then you can shut the world off and say, you know what? Whatever happens, it doesn't matter. I know where I'm going. I know who my God is. I know who my Savior is. He's taken care of me all of these years. Why would I deny Him now? Why would I doubt Him now when He's taken care of me all through these years? So he starts this brief section telling Timothy, pray, 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 and closes it exactly, like I said, uh, the same way. Prayer is a direct link to the heart of the Lord, but it's also a direct link to our hearts. Have you ever noticed that when you're angry or mad, you can't pray? Oh, you could, but you don't want to. Because I'm afraid if I go pray, God's going to put a softness in my heart towards that person, and I want to hate them for a little bit. I want their pound of flesh, and they're a few ounces short. So I'm going to hang on to this anger until they, I feel like they've hurt as much as they hurt me. What a sad human condition we're all in, right? But God says, I got gotcha. you. If you'll let me, I've got you. Look at verse 2. For kings, he's talking about continuing this prayer. Pray for kings. What would be the substitute for kings for us today? Yep, you got it. <laughs> you got it. For the good ones and the bad ones. Maybe even a little more for the bad ones. That they'll find Jesus. Pray for the kings and all who are in authority. Well, what does that mean? Everybody's got someone that they answer to, don't they? And ultimately, it's Jesus. That chain, that chain of command goes all the way up to Jesus Christ. He says, pray for those who are in authority over you, that we may lead quiet and peaceable lives in all goodly, godliness, excuse me, and reverence, okay? That we may live a quiet and peaceable life in all godliness and reverence. Well, what does that mean? Stay out of trouble. Stay out of trouble. If you're selling drugs, sooner or later, you're going to get caught. 
If you and I are driving down the freeway at 70 and it says 50, you may not get caught this time. You may not get caught the next time. But sooner or later, we're going to get caught. And then we can't turn around and say, well, that was a bad cop. No, that was a good cop. That was a, a guy who was hired to do a job and he's just doing his, his, his job. The problem was not him. The problem was me. Now, we don't feel like it at the time. It's like, couldn't you let me slide? But he's saying, pray for them. Pray that God will do a miracle within them so you can live a peaceable life. And try to keep your Christian ethics intact so you're not doing things that you can get put in the slammer for. That's what it means. Live a peaceable life. In Romans 13, 1, it says, Let every soul, that's kind of all of us, be subject to the governing authorities. Now, again, that word subject means to place yourself in an order. It's a military term. And it means to place yourself in an orderly fashion under someone. And those of you that have served in any kind of military capacity, you know that your IQ may be higher than your five-star generals, but you better not say it. And you better not act like it. There's a chain of command. And you salute and you do the things that you're supposed to do in that command. That's just, that's just kind of what he's saying. So he's saying, let every soul be subject to the governing authorities. Now, is there one escape hatch to that? Only one. Only one. And that if someone's trying to get you to deny Jesus Christ, whether he's an authority or not, we can't do that. We can't do that. So he says, for there is no authority except from God... And the authorities that exist are appointed by God. Whoa, 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 wait a minute. Wait a minute. Pastor, are you saying that the people that are in authority right now are put there by God? I didn't say it. Well, I guess I repeated it. But, but isn't that what he says? There's no authority except from God and the authorities that exist are appointed by God? Lord, how can it be? Does God ever use hard, difficult circumstances to teach us something? Absolutely. Just ask your kids. So, look at the next one. Therefore, whoever resists the authority resists the ordinance of God, and those who resist will bring judgment on themselves, for rulers are not a terror to good works, but to evil. Do you want to be afraid of the authority? Do you want to be afraid of the authority? Do what is good, and you will have praise from them. Now, this is where it really gets tough for us, doesn't it, as Christians? They're not a terror to those who do good. There is a turning point. We know that from the book of Revelation, right? In fact, it is good, it is righteousness, and it is Jesus that they're going to come after. Satan's been trying to win this battle for a long time. He's not going to win the battle. He's not going to win the battle. But some things, guys, come on, let's be honest. Don't you see evil out in, it's out in the open more now than it's ever been in our lives? Uh, the masks are off. 
If, if we don't see it, we're not looking because it is out there. It is a part of our lives now. But he's basically saying that if we still, even with that going on, if we try to live quiet, humble lives, you know one of the things that I, I have a hard time with, and that is the, if you look at any of these uh, things on Facebook, Facebook, any of the little video clips, you have guys, it, it's mostly young men, sorry, but it's mostly young guys, and they're going out trying to get the police to stop them. They're trying to get the police caught in something. So the policeman comes up, he asks them for their ID, oh, I, don't, I, don't, I don't have to give it to you. What do you mean don't have to give it to me? Right there, that trigger starts. That, that anger already sets in because he is the person in authority at the time. And then they just keep this whole thing going, try to prove that they're smarter than the policeman. And, and once in a while, they get a policeman who's pretty mild-mannered and, you know, it's, it's, it's okay. But in most cases, they just fuel the fire and they just keep stoking the flames to try to make that situation more and more aggravated. I don't, I don't get that. You know, that, that's just plain antagonizing the enemy. That's like having a, having a dog that you know is going to kill you if it gets loose and then messing with him. Runs to the end of the chain and you're still messing with the, with the dog. And then the chain breaks and he mauls you and you go, that's a bad dog, you got to put it down. Well, no, I'm not going to say what I was going to say, but maybe somebody else needs to be not, not put down. Maybe somebody else needs to be changed a little bit in that setting, in that situation. So the Lord has allowed and purposely placed people in authority over us. And for the most part, they're there for our protection. Now, I'm not saying all of them are, but most of them there are for protection. So we need to abide by those. We need to pray for people that are in that authority. Josh McDowell tells a story. This was back from a book he wrote called The New Man. And he tells the story of a high school guy who wanted to go swimming with his girlfriend at midnight. The neighbors down the block had a pool, and he knew it. So they ran down there, scaled the fence, even though there were no trespassing signs, do not enter signs. And just as he hit the driving board, the girl yelled, but it was too late. You see, there was only one foot of water in the pool. And the young man broke his neck. And he didn't realize that the signs on the fence and that law, if you will, would have protected him. And had he listened... And had he respected those that were in authority over him who placed those signs, he would be walking today. But he's not. Excuse me while I get a drink here. That's a hard lesson to learn, isn't it? You spend the rest of your life in a wheelchair from one, from one thing. Not watching, not listening, and not observing. I would guess that the prisons are full of folks who didn't want to obey the authority. They didn't want to do what they were asked to do. And they went against that and they're paying the price for it. Now how does that apply spiritually? Let's just do what God asks us to do. 
It's, not, it's, it's really not that big of a deal where we have to go out and start trouble in order to prove someone is wrong. You know, back to those quiet lives, gentle lives. Now, the Lord has that same chain of command, if you will, and that goes all the way up. And in the church, he's got a chain of command. There's a chain of command where you work. If, if you're still working and you're out there, you have probably a boss. And that boss has a boss, and that boss has a boss, and that boss has a boss, and it kind of goes up the chain. Now, you can pick at, the, at your boss if you want to, but you're not going to keep your job very long. And you may have valid reasons that you feel that they're doing that job wrong. And it might be so. But you're not going to keep your job if you keep picking at that individual. Now, if you want that person removed, go to prayer. And say, God, if you want me to endure this, then you give me the ability to endure it. Because it could be me. But God, if there's a, something else you want to do, then I pray that you'd work on that too. All things can be given to the Lord. Now, it doesn't mean mindless submission. We're not talking about mindless submission. If you have mindless submission, whether it's in the church or whether it's somewhere else, you're going to end up draped in a purple shroud, wearing Nike tennis shoes and worshiping the Hale-Bopp Comet. I know, it's a little dated, but it's, bear with me. Or drinking poison laced with Kool-Aid simply because some wacko tells you to do it. Or getting sick shots to prevent some disease and still getting sick with that disease. Now, I know I stepped on somebody's toes, but still, I, op, open the eyes and take a look at it. If we have six vaccinations for the same thing, and immediately after, you're sick with the same thing, that's kind of like buying a, a car and they're telling you the car doesn't come with spark plugs. You're going to have to buy six spark plugs. Well, you're going to have to buy one spark plug. So you put the one spark plug in, it still won't fire over. It still doesn't work. And you go back and they say, well, you need another spark plug. So you go back and you buy another spark plug and the car still won't start. And you do that six times. And the car still won't start. Isn't there a time somewhere there where you go, something's wrong with this? Now, please understand, if you're the one getting those, God bless you. You've got to do what you feel you've been called to do. And if that's what you feel God has called you to do, then by all means, that's, that's what you should do. But what I'm saying is, let's not be so hard on each other either way. I know well-meaning, loving, good Christians who have gotten all of them. I also know many that who did not. Right or wrong is in your choice of what you desire to do. But all I'm saying is kind of what the Lord said here, and that's just be submissive, but not blind. Be submissive to the authority that we have over us, but also don't be blind. Not just because everybody's doing it. 
And when it comes to the church, it means not giving your leadership a hard time over issues that don't matter. If it's not a matter of doctrine, it doesn't matter. There have been churches who have split over the color of the carpet. Ours is a mile dirty. That's the color. Of... <laughs> Put new carpet in, you go, don't bring in drinks, and people bring them in anyway. And that's just leadership. No, I'm just kidding. It's, it's everybody who brings them in. It's like, uh, you know, it's funny. You probably go to that same person's house, and you have to take your shoes off outside before you can even go in the house. So, some things matter and some things don't matter. That's, that's, that's all we're saying. God put people in charge. It doesn't mean they're smarter. It doesn't mean that, mean that they're even better equipped necessarily than you are. It's just what he does. He uses us all in different capacities. All right, verses 3 and 4. For this is good and acceptable in the sight of God our Savior who desires for all men to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. That's the reason for the prayers. He wants everybody to be saved. John three sixteen. right? He wants everyone to be saved. He knows not everyone will, but he wants everyone to be saved. So we should be praying for all men and women's salvation because we know beyond a shadow of a doubt that that is the will of God. And that is for as many people as possible can be saved. Look at verses 5 through 8. For there is one God, one mediator between God and men, and that's the man Jesus Christ, who gave himself a ransom for all to be testified in due time, for which I was appointed a preacher and an apostle. I am speaking the truth in Christ and I am not lying. A teacher of the Gentiles in the faith and truth, I desire therefore that men pray everywhere, lifting up holy hands without wrath and without doubting. So again, the admonition to pray. But please understand in these scriptures, when it says one God and one mediator between God and men, he's not saying that all religions lead to heaven. That's, that's a feel-good uh, theology. Oh, it doesn't matter who you worship. It doesn't matter what God you... Because it's all going to go to the same place. Not according to the Bible. Not according to what Jesus has said. There's one way to heaven, and that's through Jesus Christ. And we must accept him as our Lord and Savior. So it doesn't mean that all paths lead to the same place. But here's what he is saying. There really is only one God. That's our God. God the Father. There's only one. There's only one mediator. And that is Jesus Christ and the Holy Spirit. Right? All three are one. The Trinity of God. So, and it says he gave himself. So he makes it very, very clear who that mediator is and the only way we're going to get there. Guys, it's not about being good because none of us are any good. I don't mean to offend anyone, but, it, but we're not. Remember at the very beginning we were talking about somebody does us dirty, there's that thing inside of you that wants to pay him back? We've all sinned. We've all fallen short of the glory of God. But there's one that takes care of that at the cross, and that is Jesus Christ. That's what he's saying. Not that all religions lead to the same place, but there's one God, and you and I must submit to that authority, which is Jesus Christ. Look at 1 Timothy 2, uh, 9, through 10, 9 and 10. In like manner, also, here we go, ladies, that women adorn themselves in modest apparel, 
with propriety and moderation, not with braided hair or gold or pearls or costly clothing, but which is proper for women professing godliness with good works. Ha! How do you feel about that, ladies? Gentlemen, how do you feel about that? Same thing can be said about guys. The problem is not with those things. The problem is with the heart. Try to understand the situation that Paul's writing in. And the time in which he is writing. Adam Clark, one of the commentators, he wrote this. He said, this was prohibited by the Roman laws. In quoting from a book on Roman law, it quotes, In our laws, the condition of woman is, in many respects, worse than that of men. Women are precluded from all public offices, therefore they cannot be judges nor execute the function of magistrates. They cannot sue, they cannot plead, nor act in any case as proxies. They were under many other disabilities. Now, we can sugarcoat it, but ladies, it wasn't until the cross that you were set free. It wasn't until the cross we were set free. That we were all set free. It goes all the way back to the beginning in the book of Genesis. But I'd like to say this. If we believe that the Bible is the inspired word of God, we must assume he wants this in there for some reason. But please don't let your head go where I think it might be going right now because you may be surprised. Is what is really being said here. Let me say it again. The Lord wants men and women to dress as becoming to their walks as a Christian. Does that mean you can't dress up? No. Does it mean you can't wear gold earrings? No. That's, that's really not the essence of what he's talking about. He's talking about wanting to be noticed. Wanting to be the spectacle. Wanting the room to all turn around when we walk in. That's what he's talking about. He's talking about the issue of pride. Not necessarily those things. The problem was the desire for attention. In 1 Peter 3.3 it says, Do not let your adornment be merely outward. Not merely outward. Arranging the hair, wearing gold, putting on fine apparel. Rather, here's the answer, let it be the hidden person of your heart. With an incorruptible beauty of a gentle and a quiet spirit, which is very precious in the sight of God. So, the Lord, through the Apostle Paul, is simply saying that there's a beauty in a woman, and I, and I think I'd, I wouldn't use the word beauty in a man, but there's the same kind of thing in a man that's much, moral, much more desirable than the outward appearance. 
And that is godliness. True Christian beauty. And this is where we get all messed up. Right? Men are visual. Men are attracted to beautiful women. Women know that. That game has been going on forever. But what you get when you attract a man like that is one you want to throw back. You might catch him, but it's like, you know, catch and release. You're going to have to get rid of him. Pastor, are you saying marry someone ugly? (laughs) That's not what I'm saying either. All I'm saying is there's got to be more to it than just the outward. If you got the outward and the inward, man, you got a piece of gold right there. But so many times it's the attraction that draws that man, and then you don't know if he loves you for you or the way you look. Because you know what? You're both going to get old. Gravity is going to, it's going to win. No matter what you do or how much money you spend on cosmetics, gravity is going to win. And you're going to put on a few pounds. And you're going to lose some hair. And ladies, you might grow some. <laughs> okay. All I'm saying is, if you love someone, that's going to stay no matter what. If that beauty is on the inside and you love them for what's in the inside, none of that matters. None of that matters. But if that's not the beauty on the inside, the first time you don't look the way he thinks you're supposed to look. Well, you know... What's going to happen from there by the, by the statistics of divorce? Um, even amongst Christians. So ladies, I'm not saying don't put on makeup. And I'm not saying don't look the best you can. I'm just saying that make sure that that's not a replacement for the beauty of the heart. The things of God. Because any man with a brain, and I know maybe there's few of them, But any man with a brain, (laughs) any man with a brain is going to, after after that's all there, right, he's going to want to know what you're made of. If if he's a Christian man that loves Jesus Christ, he's going to want to partner in that. Joint heirs in Christ. He's going to want that. So young men, be that for a woman. Ladies, be that for a husband. And don't settle. Don't settle when you say, you know, I've been waiting for a long time. Well, maybe the other one, the nice one's just right around the corner. But don't, don't settle. It, it'll, it'll be a, a mess if you do that. Tw- uh, chapter 2, verse 11. Let a woman learn in silence with all submission. Ladies, if you're not throwing things at me now, you will be. (laughs) Let a woman learn in silence with all submission. What? Now, the exhortation to Timothy has already been to learn 
uh, to respect authority, right? It seems that there were a few women in this church, specifically, that were being very disruptive in the services. At this time, they separated the men and the women. And the story has it that some of the women would be yelling out across to their husbands, saying things that yeah, asking questions and dis basically disrupting service. And I'm sure you had some guys probably doing the same thing. But he's just basically saying, have a quiet and gentle spirit. That's all. Have a quiet and gentle spirit. Why does the scripture say, wives, respect your husbands, honor your husbands. But he says to the husbands, what? Love your wives. Specifically, he says that. Ladies, if you want to get your husband to do something, show him some respect. Give him a little honor from time to time. He will do anything for you. If he loves you, our, our desire as husbands is to, to make our wives happy. Believe it or not, that's what we really want to do. And with a little bit of respect and a little honor, you'll find that that's like magic, but a good kind. It's like that works in a man's life. Guys, if you want your wife to be the kind of wife you want her to be, show her some love. Don't bark at her all the time. Don't yell at her all the time. Don't treat her like she's an object or a slave, but treat her like you love her. That, that, that will heal a marriage right there. That's why God put it in there. You remember that? I'm going to get you if you get me. You hurt me, I'm going to hurt you. You think that doesn't exist in a marriage? Of course it does. So stop it. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> if you ever watch Bob Newhart, you'll know where that came from. But my point is this. We as Christians need to do that. We need to stop once in a while. Especially, and I can speak f as a man. And that's, God, help me to be more gentle. Help me to be a little more kind. Especially to my wife. And give me the words that even if it's something is snapped at me or, or something is said, help me, to, help me to not get that, well, I'll get you back. Help me not to have that. Help me to just say, Lord, give me a better way. Give me a better way to react to these things because it, it doesn't help. Okay, let's move on. Here's another one, ladies, verse 12. And I do not permit a woman to teach or to have authority over a man, but to be in silence. Oh, boy, oh, boy, oh, boy. Thanks, Pastor Dan. <laughs> Actually, that word silence is an unfortunate translation. translation. The Greek word is pronounced hesokia. Uh, and to get a better picture, picture of what Paul is trying to say here, look at 2 Thessalonians 3.11. 2 Thessalonians 3.11. Same word is used 
but it's translated as a different word. It says, for we hear that there are some who walk among you in a disorderly manner, not working at all, but they're busybodies. Now, those who are such, we command and exhort through our Lord Jesus Christ that they work in what? Quietness. Quietness. That doesn't mean being silent all the time. But it goes along with that quiet and gentle, humble spirit and heart. But guys, I think this is good advice for both. Husband and wife, men and women, to have that quiet and gentle spirit. Now, now I'll give it to you later. Look at Titus 2.3. Titus 2.3. It says the older women, now he's not against women teaching. Right? Look at this. That the older women likewise, um, that they, excuse me, the older women likewise, that they be reverent in behavior, not slanderers, not given to too much wine, no winos, teachers of good things, that they admonish the younger women to love their husbands and to love their children. We see a very important role there that moms and grandmas pay, play in the whole family setting and family situation, especially women teaching women. Guys, we, I mean, ladies, we don't get you. We don't understand you. We try, but we really don't understand you. Girls need girlfriends. W women need friends, girlfriends. And so having women teach women the basics, and that's one thing that seems to kind of be, be gone. If you look back on your education, how much of that have you been able to apply to your life? Don't you wish that somebody would have taught you a little bit about finances? A little more than you got? Just the basics? And you say, well, I, you know, we went through a, a section of how to write a check. <laughs> we got that down. We know how to write a check. But how, to, how, how finances work? You know, if you've got too many spigots open, pretty soon the barrel's going to run dry. And if you're not putting more in at the top than you're letting out at the bottom, you're going to go in debt. Some of those things that we, homemaking, right? They, they, they took homemaking away. Some of you ladies had homemaking. They taught you how to cook. They taught you how to do this. They taught you how to do that. Guys, we had wood shop and, and welding. We learned how to weld, and at least in mine, it was an agriculture class. We learned how to weld and cut stuff up and make stuff and do things. It's like all of those things are gone. And I still don't know calculus. We need teachers. The reason I give you this is you can see that women, he's not against women teaching. But he is against a lack of respect for husbands. He's against a lack of honoring a husband. You might say, well, my husband doesn't deserve any honor. Then, man, you picked the wrong one, didn't you? Either that or you're holding a grudge that you won't let go of. Maybe if you start treating him as a grown-up, maybe he will actually be a grown-up. Now, ladies, let me say this real quick, and that is that, uh, ooh, I'm running over. Many men will not grow up as long as you will be their mother. Why should we? If you're going to do everything for us, why should we grow up? 
If you're going to cook and clean, expect absolutely nothing out of us. And you're not requiring us to be the spiritual leader of the home. Then what man wouldn't take that? You can adopt me if you'll do that for me. Let them grow up and let them be responsible. Let there be some things that you don't do. I'm not talking about I'll get you back kind of stuff. I'm just saying that let them be the spiritual leader. If you always take that role, they will never take it. All right. Acts 18.24, now a certain Jew named Apollos, born in Alexandria, an eloquent man and mighty in the scriptures, came to Ephesus. This man had been instructed in the way of the Lord, and being very fervent in the spirit, he spoke and taught accurately the things of the Lord, though he knew only the baptism of John. So he had limited knowledge, but he was on fire. 26, so he began to speak boldly in the synagogue, and when Aquila and Priscilla, husband and wife team, heard him, they took him aside privately. And they explained to him the way of God more accurately. And when he desired to cross into Acacia, the brethren wrote, exhorting the disciples, excuse me, to receive him. And when he arrived, he greatly helped those who had believed through grace, for he vigorously refuted the Jews publicly, showing them from the scriptures that Jesus is the Christ. So here we see a husband and wife team teaching. And it's another man. So what's going on here? Why does it seem to say one thing and, it, and then it's another? It's probably because we just don't understand what's really being said here. If it wasn't for women, I don't know if the first church, first century church would have even existed. If it wasn't for women, there's probably, I would venture to say 50%, 60% of the churches would probably close. Now, that's a statistic I just made up, so don't quote me on it. But it's a high rate of of churches that would close if it wasn't for the ladies. Because you're the caregivers. You're the ones that see something that needs to be done, and and you put your hands forth to be able to do that. So he is not devaluating the value of a woman. That's the one thing we really need to understand. So I'm going to close with this. He also says, For Adam was formed first, then Eve, and Adam was not deceived, but the woman was deceived and fell into transgression. Now this is important, and and you'll understand why I'm pointing it out. Adam was formed first, then Eve, and Adam was not deceived, but the woman was deceived and fell into transgression. transgression. Nevertheless, she will be saved in childbearing if they continue in faith and love and holiness with self-control. What? In, in case you're not seeing this, this is a curse. This is a, a, a penalty for the disobedience. They both knew they were not supposed to do this. And they fell. Genesis 3.16, he said to the woman, I will greatly multiply your sorrow and your conception In pain you shall bring forth children. Your desire shall be for your husband, and he shall rule over you. Why? For the deception that took place in the garden. Now I'm going to cut things short here a little bit. And I may be stretching this a little bit. 
But could it be that Jesus broke that curse at the cross? Pastor, why do you say that? Because he said something very strange to his mom. Now I want you to think about it. If you're hanging on the cross and your mom's there, would you go, woman? Wouldn't you say ma? Wouldn't you say mother? He doesn't. He says... When Jesus therefore saw his mother, and the, this is from John 19, 26. When Jesus saw therefore his mother and, and the disciple whom he loved standing by, he said to his mother, Woman, behold your son. Now, please understand, I'm not saying this is gospel, but I think his re- approach to his mom would have been a little bit more endearing than that, knowing he was breathing his last breath. Could it be that he is pronouncing to womankind that the curse has been broken? Something for you to think about. Because that birth, that new birth, even that curse brought forth our salvation of all mankind through Jesus Christ. But Jesus took it to the cross and he said, it is forgiven. Now, I think, and this is just me, and I could be completely wrong. You have every right to to say I'm crazy. But I believe that Jesus addressed her that way to say, that curse is broken. I think Jesus breaks all all of the curses. I think what he did at the cross breaks all of the, cur- the, the curses. And now I want to close with 1 Peter 3, 7. Husbands, dwell with your wives with understanding, giving honor to the wife. Guys, giving honor to the wife, and some of you are, you're not going to like this part either. Giving honor to the wife as the weaker vessel. Now, ladies, before you get too upset with this, fine china is weaker than a cast iron skillet, but it's more beautiful. It's okay. It's okay. Men are not women, women are not men. God created us different. That's just as simple as it is. As it is, And as being heirs together, being joint heirs of the grace of life, and that your prayers be not hindered. You know what that means? He's saying, guys, become one in Jesus Christ. Honor each other, love each other, take care of each other, support each other, pull your load and help pull some of the others sometimes. Do what's necessary. Women are no longer second-class citizens unless you treat them that way. But I don't believe that that's the way God wanted it to be. And I believe the cross satisfied that.